theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. I want to share this thought with you today. And I'll tell you my title now, but I'll get to my text in a little bit. A new song for the sons of Korah. A new song for the sons of Korah. Well, last month we gathered to honor our mothers. This month we gather together to honor our fathers. The two days are so, so different. I'm going to share an article with you from uh, Recipe Express as to why, or perhaps monetarily speaking, economically, the difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day. It's profound as to, to what's happening. I want you to check this out. Overall, they say Mother's Day takes the cake when it comes to how much each person spends on average for each holiday. Perhaps this is the result of Mother's Day being more heavily advertised, or perhaps it's because we feel guiltier about everything we put our mothers through as children, but there's a definite discrepancy in the amount of money we spend on mom in contrast to dad. And by the way, I am not complaining. Did you know in Brazil that they spend $112 on mom on average, and they spend $59 on average for Father's Day? In the States, it is almost $94 uh, for mom and $54 for dad. And the gifts vary. Check out what we typically do for mom. We, they're lavish and memorable and appreciative, the article says. More than likely, it's jewelry and dinners and services, uh, clothing, and finally, lastly, gift cards, okay? And uh, for example, just... Uh, In 2019, $4.2 billion were spent on Mother's Day. Now, just to give you an idea, Father's Day gifts, they say, these are just the results, the more practical and traditional. And while there was $4.2 billion spent on mom, (laughs) 0.7, we didn't even make a billion dollars, dad, uh, but 0.7 billion is spent on dad. Let me just say this. You know what? Mom is worthy of absolutely everything that she gets and a whole lot more. And dad, that is not uh, that is no different for you as well. You sir are worthy of just as much that you are honored by or or receive today. We celebrate you. I want to share another excerpt with you from Susan Celis. She wrote an article uh, and it's titled What is a dad? A dad is someone who wants to catch you before you fall, but instead picks you up, brushes you off, and lets you try again. A dad is someone who wants to keep you from making mistakes, but instead lets you find your own way, even though this breaks his heart in silence when you get hurt. A dad is someone who holds you when you cry, scolds you when you break the rules, shines with pride when you succeed, and has faith in you even when you fail. Dad, you are everything a dad should be and some. I thought that's so 
apropos, if you will. It's so true. We pay tribute today to those men who are everything a dad should be and some more. Your presence in the home is valuable, dad. Countless statistics show us that fathers present in the home uh, lowers out of wedlock birth rates in children, alcoholism, drug use, and even poverty. 85% of the men in penitentiaries today come from fatherless homes. Nearly 25 million children do not live with their biological fathers in North America. And then 49% of children uh, of divorced parents haven't seen their dad in a year. Those of you who have your fathers, consider yourselves doubly blessed. You ought to just give God thanks if your father is still with you and he's active in your life, or if you have a surrogate father and God has gifted you with that gift, you ought to give God praise. But what about those, what about those who labor and try to work tirelessly, if you will, to get from up underneath the dark legacy of a dad who, if I could just be blunt, dropped the ball? Perhaps there's some people today watching who have a father who scarred them, or perhaps he ignored you, mistreated you, or worse, perhaps abused you. Listen to me carefully. God wants to give you a new song today. I'm going to be reading from two portions of scripture, and the first is the 84th Psalm, verse 10. It's one uh, that many of us are familiar with. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And then let's turn to Numbers 26, 7 through 11. And if you don't have your Bible, it's okay. We'll display it on the screen. These are the clans of the Reubenites, and those listed were 43,730. And the sons of Palu, Eliab, the sons of Eliab, Nemuel, Dathan, and Debiram. These are the Dathan and Debiram chosen from the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron and the company of Korah. When they contended against the Lord and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a warning, but the sons of Korah did not die. Korah was his name. Some say his name means baldness. And if that's the case, we might have that and only that in common. Others say it means ice. He had a lot of common with two leaders in particular, two prestigious leaders of Israel, Moses and Aaron. Like Moses and Aaron, he too was the great grandson of Levi. Like Moses and Aaron, he too was the grandson of Kohath. Korah, Moses, and Aaron were all first cousins. Shout out to my cousins, especially my first cousins. We're, we're really close. Each of these three were involved in the wilderness journey. Each had seen tremendous things happen. The plagues of Egypt, the Nile River turned into blood, frogs, locusts, lice, the immense darkness, and of course, the Passover. Each had watched the waters of the Red Sea roll back like frightened kittens. Each had passed over on dry ground. Each collected the miracle manna each morning, drank from the rock in the wilderness. Each was cooled by a cloud by day and was warmed by that same uh, fire, that cloud that transformed to fire by night. Each 
was involved in the service unto Yahweh. And that, my friends, is where the trouble begins. Korah didn't like his assignment. Moses led Israel, Aaron, the high priest, and Korah. Let me back up so you catch that. Moses is leading Israel. Aaron was a high priest. And Korah, see, Korah's duties were to serve around the tabernacle, the house of God. They were temple singers, gatekeepers, porters, bakers. You can look it up in Chronicles, uh, First and Second Chronicles. In other words, uh, they were the nursery duty. They were the, the, the sound room, if you will. They were on the guest services team. They had maintenance duty, if you will. They had the positions that can become tiresome, if you will, and sometimes largely invisible until something goes wrong. Korah felt underappreciated, if you will, or unappreciated. He felt undervalued. He saw his job as menial, and he saw Moses and Aaron getting all of the glory. He saw them in the more conspicuous roles, and he himself, he being Korah, felt slighted. They are, uh, and the, all of a sudden, he finds himself setting his eyes on them and becoming remarkably critical and accusatory, and something gets in his heart. And I'm going to tell you why this is. Oftentimes, men, dads, you know what we do? And for others who are watching, I'm going to tell you a man's worth is often equated with his work. A man's worth is often equated with his work. See, what Korah felt is true of all men. We often rank ourselves by our work. If a man is unhappy on his job, you better get ready. He's usually unhappy everywhere if he's not happy at the office. Before Adam was even given a wife, he was given work. He was given a job to do. Meaningful work is important to men. Dead-end jobs, meaningless employment, feelings of being unappreciated, those are common struggles with men. But Cora, wait, 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 hold up, wait a minute, Cora. Your work wasn't a dead-end. Your work wasn't meaningless. Although you might not have received a round of applause often. You and your sons, you were in God's house. Korah, didn't you realize most men would give their left arm without even thinking about it so they could work there with their children, be both dad and employer, to be around their children and to pass along to their children what they value. Yet Korah failed to see beyond the task. He didn't understand why Moses would have he and his sons pitch the tabernacle, set up all the furniture. Then suddenly in the middle of the night, Moses and Aaron say, hey, hey, Korah, it's time for us to go. Why? Korah's probably frustrated. Why couldn't there be a plan? Why didn't we have a three-month, 90-day rolling calendar? Why didn't we know exactly where we're going to be, when we're going to be there, how we're going to get there? Why is all of this so confusing? Couldn't you just get your calendar together, Moses, in advance? So that, no, 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 no. What you need to understand, Korah, is when the cloud moves, praise God, we move. See, when the Spirit of God moves, we move. But what was going through Korah's mind? Perhaps Korah grumbled about the condition. Tabernacle, it wasn't a pretty place. At least what Korah saw. See, he largely saw the sacrifices, the blood and the, the carcasses or the remains 
of the sacrifices. Perhaps he got weary of cleaning up the mess left by his cousins, Aaron and Moses, and, uh, or Aaron and uh, those boys. Oh, but Corey, if you would just see beyond the task for a moment. If there was no mess, if there was no spilled blood in the dirt, if there was no carcass to remove, it means there'd be no sacrifice, there'd be no praise, and there'd be no thanksgiving. Praise God. Maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe, Cora, you just didn't realize something so very important. Each of us is given a work to do. It's up to us to make it worthy for God. I want to say that again. Each of us is given work to do. It's up to us to make it worthy for God. Cora, so why don't you, uh, you know what? Why don't you go up into the mountain and receive the law? Cora, why don't you go into the holiest of holies? You have work to do, and it's a good work. It's a need for work, and you're needed in that work. Can I just encourage you? Dad, you're needed in fatherhood. Not only are you needed in fatherhood, can I just encourage everybody here that's watching for a moment, no matter what you're doing for the kingdom of God, it is needed. Can I tell you, you know what? I, I, there's only one pastor here at EC for the time being. We will be growing the pastoral staff. Praise God. There's coming a day we'll have assistant pastors and associate pastors as God grows the team. And you know what? Uh, we'll have more worship leaders and we'll have more praise team singers and blah, blah, blah. We'll go down the list. But you know what? Can I tell you, whatever you're doing, do it for the glory of God. Know that God is with you. See beyond the task and don't allow yourself to be robbed of the joy because you're comparing yourself to somebody else and what you are doing or what you aren't doing. Can I tell you, comparison will steal from you all day long, but God wants you to do it unto him. And if you'll do it unto him, the blessing will flow. The bitterness will cease and you'll have joy and joy unspeakable. Whew. How many times do we, uh, do we see it? People don't feel appreciated. They get with others uh -oh, who feel slighted and soon, soon you have a conspiracy forming. It was that way here. Two Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, chime in with Korah. Perhaps they felt like, you know what? We're the biggest tribe. What's the deal? We're not getting our fair share. So in their tents, you know what they begin to do? Grumble and complain. Then the leaven of a complaining spirit leads to a plan. They confront Moses and Aaron saying, you take too much on yourself. Korah, you know what? Dear Korah, you forgot one thing. It wasn't Moses and it wasn't Aaron who decided what they were going to do and what you were going to do. It was God. God chose the assignments. God chooses. And can I tell you, I'm thankful God chooses because he knows best. And as we trust his sovereignty, we'll submit to his lordship and God will get the glory. Can I just tell you something I've been feeling in my spirit and I'm just going to address it right now for a moment. I just want to say you need to, we need to understand that we cannot buy into this doctrine of fair. Can I tell you, it is not biblical. Even in the millennial reign, do you realize you and I will be judged for our works and we will be rewarded accordingly? Some people's crowns will have so many jewels in them, their head will be like this. 
And you know what? They'll still cast it at his feet. And others might just be a doorkeeper, praise God. It might not have a crown. You know what? We won't look and say, no, that's fair. We'll just look and say, worthy is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Can I tell you, don't buy into the notion of fair, but say, God, whatever you've asked me to do, I'll do it for your glory. Fathers, can I tell you, teach your children to not only love God, but teach them to do what they do for the glory of God. Moms, can I tell you, encourage your kids. Do what they do for the glory of God. Single people, can I tell you, do what you do for the glory of God. If you get a chance to do it, do with all of your might for his glory. Praise God. Praise God. If you believe that, clap your hands unto the Lord. If you believe that, say amen in the comments. Oh, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. What's happening with Korah, Abiram, and Dathan. It's, 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 it's troubling, if you will. And what happens is this. We know that they rebel and they're swallowed up and some are scorched by fire and they're done. They're done. They're slain. Their remains are gone. The only thing that remains is these censers. These censers were beaten into brass plates and hung on the brazen altar. The Bible says it was put there to tell people, don't be like Korah. Oh, how careful we must be not to have Korah's song in our hearts. Although a man's worth is often equated with his work, Korah, what we need to know, a man's true worth is in his name. Praise God. I have a few true stories I want to share with you um, that I think will perhaps give you uh, some insight into some fathers and what they meant to their children. A man who values his name keeps his promises. I read the story of a woman named Christy Powers. Like most men, her father wasn't sentimental. He never really doted over Christy. And she knew he loved her, though, through a promise he kept. Christy was 16 when she realized her parents' marriage was on the rocks. Her dad began to grow despondent, and he wouldn't say much. Everything in the house was a strain. The tension was palpable. Finally, mom sat down with Christy and the other children and said, Ah, your dad is, he's leaving me. The night before he left, Christy went to her room and cried and prayed, and she wrote a long letter to her dad telling him to know that she and Jesus loved him. And, see, anyone can be a father, but it takes someone special to be called a daddy. That's what she says. She took it, folded it up, and buried it in his luggage. A few days later, Christy came home from school and her mother was crying. She said that Christy's dad had just called and said, our marriage may require some work, but it's worth saving. Then she stopped and said, whatever you told your father in your letter meant a lot to him. A few days later, dad was back. Nothing was ever said between Christy and her father about the letter. There was just an unspoken promise. I'm here to be that daddy to you. Her parents were married for 36 years until her father, at the early age of 53, passed away. When her father passed away, there was a letter amongst his things that he wanted Christy to have, a letter written by a 16-year-old girl. He wanted her to know he had kept his promise. See, a father doesn't give up when the going gets rough. He realizes there are fine, or there are few things more important than his happiness. His children deserve 
a father who lives a life of integrity before them. Can I just encourage everybody watching? Now is not the time to give up. I know it might be tough and it might be hard and I might not be in your shoes and you're not in my shoes, but can I tell you, don't give up now. God will see you through. Hang in there. There are better days ahead because God is faithful and he will see you through the storms of this life. Another story I'd like to share with you. A man who values his name remains honest. He was 11 years old. At midnight, bass season would open. That evening, he and his father were practicing with some of their lures from the dock that jutted out into a picturesque New Hampshire lake. The boy tied a new small silver spoon on the line and casted it into the lake, and the lure struck the water, and soon his rod doubled over, just bent a fish, a large fish, was on the other end. His father watched his son work the fish to the dock. They lifted a large bass from the water. The father looked at his watch and was like, it's 10 p.m., <laughs> two hours before the season opened. He looked at the fish, then at the boy. He said, you'll have to put that back in, son. Dad, cried the boy. Dad, why? There'll be another fish, Dad said. But the boy said, no, Dad, not as big as this one. The boy looked around, no one saw them. No one knew, but he knew his father's tone of voice. He worked the hook out of the mouth of the fish and lowered it back into the dark water. He suspected that he would never see such a great fish again. That was almost 50 years ago. Now the man is a successful architect in New York City. He still fishes from the same dock in New Hampshire where he learned a great lesson. The greatest catch in life isn't worth dishonesty. Praise God. And then the third thing I want to share with you is a man who values his name never, never gives up. When Mark was only five years old, his parents divorced. He stayed with his mother. His father enlisted in the armed forces. And as Mark grew up, the memories of his father grew dim, junior high high school, even college. Then Mark married and had a son of his own. Mark was staring into the mirror with the rapt attention of his five-year-old son staring at him. His son said, Daddy, you look like a clown with that whipped cream on your face. He laughed, but then he remembered a similar incident when he was close to that age, looking at his father while his father was shaving. It had been a long time since Mark had spoken of his father to his mother. She said she didn't know if his father had any family left in the States. She said, you might try the U.S. Embassy in England. They might be able to help you. Although the hope was slim, he obtained the number and called. The voice on the other end said, U.S. Embassy, how may we help you? Uh, my name is Mark Sullivan. My name is Mark Sullivan, and I'm looking for my father. After a long pause, the excited voice said, is this Mr. Mark Joseph Sullivan? Mark said, yes, yes, uh, you were born in Vincennes, Indiana, at the Good Samaritan Hospital on October 19th, 1970. Yes, yes, Mark, please don't hang up, the voice said. Then in a shout, the voice says, everyone, listen, I've got terrific news. Lieutenant Ronald L. Sullivan's son is on the phone. He found us, he found us. There's a roar of clapping and cheering, laughing, and even some praising God. The person's voice comes back on the phone and says, Mark, we're so glad you have called. Your father has been coming here in person or calling almost every day for the past nine years, seeing if we had located you. Following day, the phone call came from his father. 
Every six months since Mark was five, his father had come home to the U.S. looking for him. He could never find him, but a man who values his name never gives up. Don't ever give up, Dad. Don't ever give up. Keep looking. Keep believing. Keep trying. Work hard for those relationships and connections with your kids. Work hard if you're married to have a good marriage, a godly marriage. Show our kids, let's show our kids that the greatest trait in a successful fatherhood or in a successful dad is persistence. Whether you feel appreciated or not, keep working. Cora didn't, and his children learned the truth that each of his sons knew. See, we all inherit a name, but we don't inherit an attitude. I don't understand it. I can't explain it biblically, but the Bible says that Dathan, his wife and children were killed. Abiram, his wife and children were killed. Yes, a bad legacy, bad habits, general curses, generational curses can ruin a family. But Korah, but the sons of Korah, according to Numbers 26 and 11, did not die. God gave these kids a chance to outlive uh, that horrible song of bitterness to get a new song. They resumed their jobs as porters. Yes, it was the sons of Korah who kept carrying around the sacred furniture. They resumed their jobs as gatekeepers. They picked up their harps and they continued to sing. It was one of their numbers uh, who was chosen by King David to preside over the music. When Solomon's massive temple was built, it was the sons of Korah who joined in at the singing of the dedication. What is this? They did the same job as their father, but something was different. Something was different. I want you to catch me because this is really important. I want you to hear me right here. The secret is found in the 84th Psalm. Look at this verse one. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sang for joy to the living God. Even the sparrows find a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Look at verse 10. I started off with it a little earlier. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. But the key is not found in any of these verses. Hear me as so much it is in the superscription above them. If you read the superscription right above the first verse of the 84th Psalm, it reads, to the chief musician upon Giddeth, a psalm for the sons of Korah. This is your answer. You may not have received a great name, but sons of Korah, you can be spared your father's bitter song. God will give you a new one. Can I just tell you, I don't know what you're facing, but you might have been, you might have been harassed by the addictions of a father. You might have been harassed by the abuse of a father. You might have been harassed by the past of a father, but can I tell you, God wants to give you today a new song. You don't have to sing that song of bitterness from your dad. God wants to give you a new song today. Yes, yes, yes. Can I tell you, you don't have to go back to where your dad failed. You are right where you need to be in the service of God and God can restore what was lost. 
Get it straight this time. Get it right this time. I love the house of God. If I could just be a sparrow or a swallow, I'd love to make my nest there. I want to raise my kids there just to be in your house and still praising you as wonderful. I, oh, I know I inherited a name. I know I inherited a song, but it is not my attitude. I will have a song that will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I will declare your greatness for I am I'm alive in the land land of the living. I close with this. For some of you, with your earthly father, this is no problem. But for those who it is, you can worship into a new song. <laughs> Praise God. You can be spared an old legacy. You can form a new godly lineage today. Praise God. But in a way, it affects all of us. Whether you're a dad today or not, it does affect all of us. Jesus told the unbelieving Jews in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and a father of lies. You of your father, the devil. You will do the lust of your father. He was a murderer. He was a liar. Oh, oh, there is no relief. You just kind of hear all of that. But can I tell you, we must take on a new father. We must build a new legacy. We must begin to sing a new song. First John chapter three says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Today, God wants to give you a new song. And how do you get that new song? You switch fathers. <laughs> you change your ways. We serve a God who wants to be your spiritual father. And if he's currently your spiritual father and you've been wrestling with things, dysfunctional habits, dysfunctional practices, curses that you feel like have just hounded you to no end, and you feel like you're more like your natural father than you are your heavenly father. God wants to give you a new song today. His grace is calling. And you know what? Through worship, he's going to give you a new song. Praise God. And you'll be like the sons of Korah. Praise God. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.